0: Hello, uh, we're going to be continuing on with our book study in Genesis. We have already covered the first seven chapters of Genesis. We've looked at the creation and the fall of man, fall of humanity. Uh, that We've looked at Cain killing Abel, and we're up currently looking at Noah and the Ark, which is several chapters. Chapter 7, we see that Noah and his family and the animals entered the Ark and we saw that the earth was flooded. The rains came down and the floods came up from under the ground. The water that was under the ground came up above the ground, flooded that way also. So the earth was flooded Uh, approximately 22 or more feet above the top of the mountains. So the earth was completely covered in water. Uh, I don't remember if I covered this yesterday or not, but I do want to say it today just in case. Uh, Look in chapter 7, starting with verse 21. It says, And all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Both of fowl and of cattle, and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man. Verse 22 says, All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. Verse 23, And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and creeping things in the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Uh, Notice here that the things died that were upon the dry land. Uh, Now, we don't know how much saltiness was in the water prior to the flood. We don't know how salty or lack of salty the oceans were. They could be they got salty after the flood. But we don't have enough information to know that. Um, I mentioned it yesterday, I'll mention it again today. If you go over to a website called Answers in Genesis, they have a very good article that talks about this situation of, of the water's uh, of how salty they may or may not have been prior to the flood, and so we don't know uh, how many fish lived, how many fish died during this period of time. I would assume animals like sea sea lions and seals, things like this, were probably on the ark because they are mammals. They were land. They went on land, and they went in the water so I assume they were on the ark but uh, as far as how the fish lived we don't really know but they're like I say go ahead and go over to answers in Genesis and look at that article they have they give a lot more information on this subject than I'm going to do I'm just going to have us know that everything that was on dry land according to the Bible died And other than that, we don't know how many of the fish lived or died or what might have taken place there, but it appears that a lot of the fish did live and maybe all of them lived. I I don't know, Uh, but it is an interesting point of debate that people like to talk about. Well, all we can really go with is what the Bible tells us. You know, this is an inductive Bible study. We're just going to go with what the Bible's telling us. And it says, In whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And we're just going to leave it there. And just say that's that's what happened. If, if it was on dry land, it died. God wiped it out. So, the fish re- remained to be a point of debate until today. But we're going to look at chapter 8 today. And it's talking about the flood receding or going down. And we'll see what God has for us here, starting chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah, not that he had forgotten Noah, it just that, he, in other words, he's saying, I'm going to now start dealing with the situation of Noah and what's going on about them getting off the ark. And so, and God remembered Noah and everything and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to assuage. not made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. So what we see, God is still caring for the ark and all that's in the ark. God hasn't forgotten them, hasn't just, left them adrift because remember that the ark was built without a rudder, no way to steer it. So the only steering that was done, if God wasn't steering and they were being steered by the waves, but we know that God said how the ark was going to be built and that God is steering the ark to be where he wants it to be. And let's see where it ended up being. It's going to tell us here in a moment. So verse two says, the fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. So God's no longer pouring water down on the earth. He's beginning to stop all of that. And verse three says, and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated they were starting to go away. So the water was starting to recede. And verse 4 says, And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. Uh, So, it's over there in the Middle East, Mount Ararat. And there have been many people, actually, that have gone up there on Mount Ararat, and some you can take this for the truth or not. You, there are many people that believe they have found the ark and there have been some that have even said they've been able to go inside the ark. Again, take it for with a grain of salt, whether you believe it or whether you're not believing it, it's up to you. But there have been some that believe they have found the ark right dimensions and there's even been some pictures, whether they're real pictures or not, I'm not going to say that, whether they're true or not. just going to say some people believe they have found the ark, and I believe God could have preserved the ark. If God wants to, God will preserve it. So after 150 days, the water started going down. Verse 4, oh, I, we just read 4, let's go to 5. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Notice how detailed it is here. To me, that gives a lot of credence to the the story that we're reading, that they're saying exactly how this happened. 150 days, this happened. 10 months, this happened. On the 17th day, that happened. And on Mount Ararat, it, to me, that's giving a lot of detail that really helps us prove about the ark. And, you know, the world doesn't want us to prove the ark exists because they want us to believe that God doesn't exist. But I believe the ark was built, and it wouldn't surprise me if the ark was still able to be found. I, it, to me, it won't change my faith if we can't find the ark, but certainly it would increase my faith if we did find the ark. And how do you stand on the story of the ark? Uh, Verse number six, it says, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. God told him to make one window. Now, some people think this one window was... One window that went around the top piece of the ark, the very top, so it would have been a long window. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it was more of a rectangle window or if it was more of a window that went around the top part of the ark. But I will say it says that he opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent for the raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Now, there's going to be two different birds he's going to send out. First, he sends out a raven, and it says, the raven just went to and fro until the waters were dried up. And now the raven, uh, it's the kind of bird that can eat what's called carrion, and carrion is uh, basically roadkill. So if there had been any... Dead animals floating around. The raven could have eaten that type of thing and lived. That's they're able to do. There are certain birds that are able to eat carrion, and so um, it wouldn't be surprising if the raven found things to eat along the way because there was a lot of things that died in the flood. And then verse eight says, "Also he sent for the dove from him to see if the waters were abated." from off the face of the ground. So now he also sent forth a dove, first a raven, then he sent forth a dove. A dove could not survive like a raven could. A dove would have had to come on back. It wouldn't be able to stay flying for that amount of time. And so verse nine says, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth, even though the waters are receding, there's still water everywhere, and it says, then he put forth his hand, and took her, and pulled her in unto him, into the ark, so the dove went out looking to see if the waters had receded enough for her to land, and The waters, while they had gone down, had not receded enough for her to find a place to call home. So, verse 10 says, Now, think about it. You're the only people alive in the world. Everyone else has died because of the flood, all the animals, all the people. Just you. And you look out and all you see is water. Now, I'm not saying Noah didn't have faith in God. Because clearly he did because God found him to be a righteous person. However, that would be a little bit unnerving just to look out and see all this water. And you're thinking to yourself, when is this water going to subside? Is it going to go down? Are we going to find uh, some time that we can finally get out of the ark? And when will that be? You know that had to be running through Noah's mind. That's not a lack of faith in God. That is just naturally thinking through the process. That's why he was sending out the raven and the dove to find out, can we get out of this ark? Is it going to be a possibility? says he wants to know. They don't want to spend the rest of their life having to live in the ark, and I don't blame them. But I will say I'm sure they're glad they're in the ark because it's the only place of safety right now. And they've gone through that great big storm. So verse 10 says, And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Now the raven's still doing its thing. Now he sent the dove out a second time. And after seven days he sent the dove out. And it says, And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So no one knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. So at least the water had gone down enough that uh, the, the, the dove was able to see the top of a tree, the leaf the leaf, at least of the top of a tree. And so he plucked off a leaf and brought it back to Noah. Wasn't that wonderful? So that gave Noah and his family some hope that, hey, the water is starting to recede. And as the water recedes, the the ark began to go down with it and get closer to dry land. Verse 13 says, And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. The covering... I think is where, where the window was. I'm not real clear about it, but I think the covering was where the um, where that window was, and they could pull it pull it back. And it says, and he looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And verse 14 says, and in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. Now again, if you look at answers in Genesis. And I may have already covered this, but they say that it took from the beginning to the end when they were able to leave the ark was about 370 or 371 days, depending on how you count. That's just a little over a year. Uh, And verse 15 says, And God spake unto Noah, saying, So God had not forgotten Noah and his family. God was still looking out upon them, and now God decides to speak to Noah. And that would have been a comforting words because we don't know if God was speaking to them throughout this whole long year they have been in the ark. They just probably pretty much had to put their faith in God that he was going to take care of them and keep the ark afloat. And because they had done all that God told them, they built the ark the way that God said. But now God is speaking to Noah and his family. And it says... God said, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. 17 says, Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful. And multiply upon the earth. And that's what the Lord said to Adam and Eve originally, to be fruitful and multiply. You know, fill up the earth with people, let the animals fill up the world with animals. So God is just giving them the command, as he did before with Adam and Eve. Now he's telling Noah and his family, go on out, send the animals out, let life begin again. Let the world be repopulated. In verse eight, 18 says, And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. So there was a total of the, uh, eight of them. Everyone that was in the ark was married. And that is a relevant thing that we're going to talk about at a future time. Uh, verse 19, Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds went forth out of the ark. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think about it. There must have been everything in there. Caterpillars. There must have been spiders up in the corners. All different kinds of spiders that creep upon the earth. They, they creep upon the earth. I don't like spiders very much. But all these types of things, not just the big animals like the cats and the cattle and Things like that. But even the little small things that, you know, the ants had to be on there. The spiders had to be on there. The caterpillars. All of these types of things had to be there in order to replenish the earth with all these things. So all these things had to come off of the ark also. They had to live with all of these things. And uh, it might, might have been a hard thing to do during that, that year they were there. But now God is saying, let all of these things, you and all of the animals and everything that creepeth, let it go ahead and come off the ark and begin to live according to how it's supposed to be living. And verse 20 says, we're, now we're going to see a, a, something else happen. Noah builded an ark unto the Lord, <laughs> an ark, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, I read that as ark Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar now this is part of the reason for the clean animals was was for sacrifices on the altar so Noah he must have known what what animals to offer? Because we talked about this already. And he offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm sure it was a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, saying thank you, Lord, for protecting us and keeping us throughout all this time and bringing us once again, setting us on the land. Are we thankful about what the Lord is doing in our lives? Do we realize that God is taking care of us all the time? he has his hand upon us even when we don't know you know when we're going down the road and there's a wreck up in front of us you know we don't know that God didn't do something to protect us from that wreck right there it could have been us in the middle of that wreck but God may have done something to to protect us and keep us because his hand is, is protecting us we need to give the Lord thanks every day for keeping His hand of great power and mercy upon us because He is always there with us. People think, oh, when bad things happen, I guess God's not helping us anymore. No. That's not true. Good and bad things are going to happen to us. That doesn't mean God isn't caring for us. Even in all things, in all things, we need to give God the praise. and I'll put, let me let me turn over to Romans real quick I just had a thought about a verse I want to turn to Romans chapter 8 I think it's verse 28 let me quickly go there. yes here we go Romans 8 and 20 I believe this is my wife's favorite verse in the Bible it says and we know that all things, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let me read it to you one more time. It's a great, great scripture. Romans 8 and 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called According to his purpose. Do you love God? You're allowing God to work in your life. Do you trust him? No matter what's happening. Even if it seems like it's something bad happening in your life. Do you say, Lord, I know you're working these things out for my good. Because that's what he said he's doing. All things work together for good to them who love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose, and I've read this scripture to you before, but I'm going to read it to you one more time over in Isaiah chapter 55, and we will uh, start with we'll start with uh, verse eight, Isaiah 55 and eight. He says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And There's a little bit more, but I'll stop there. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts because he is so much higher than us. We need to put our faith and our trust in him. This is a faith program we're in. We are to put our faith in him. I'm going to read you one more verse. I just thought of worrying the book of Hebrews, it's in the New Testament in Hebrews, uh, chapter uh, verse. I mean, chapter eleven, verse might be six. Let me turn to it real quickly here. I didn't have these plans, so I'm almost there. Yes, Hebrews eleven and six. It says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let me read one more time. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Him is God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking the Lord God? Or are we thinking that we can just go through life making it on our own? I don't want to go through life trying to make it on my own. I want God right there next to me, helping me and guiding me. I I need him. If you get a chance, read Hebrews chapter 11. It's considered the faith chapter. And it's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Let's go back to what we're talking about over here. I want to go back to uh, Genesis 9, uh, Genesis 8, verse 20. And it says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. He liked, He liked the offering that was offered to him. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, or, you know, continually. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. God is telling us, I'm not going to flood the world again. And because God has said he won't flood the world again, he won't. That doesn't mean there aren't floods in the world, but he will not flood the entire world again because he has said so, and God is not a liar. All that God says is truth. The last verse says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. This earth that we are living on, is going to continue on the way God has established it to be. He said there's going to be summer, there's going to be winter, there's going to be fall, and there's going to be springtime. All these things are going to continue on. Many people in the world would like us to believe that the earth is going to come to an end. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people are want are telling us, oh, everything is going to come to an end. We're running out of supplies. The earth is going to run out of all the different things that we need to live. We are not going to run out of anything until God says that the earth is done because God has set this earth in order to operate the way he wants it to operate. We don't have to spend time in our life worrying about the earth coming to an end. I've seen videos of young people that are just in fear that the world is coming to an end, that we've used up all its resources. But that's not true. God has said the earth is going to continue on the way He's had it. He says, While the earth remaineth, and there is coming a day that the earth will not remain, that it will that he's going to destroy the world by fire, not by flood. But he says, while the earth remaineth, while we're living here, and we're going to be living here a lot longer. He says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. He's covering all the seasons. He says, and day and night shall not cease. The world is going to go on the way God has established it to go on. And it doesn't matter what humankind says or what humankind does. God has established that the earth will go forward. And we need to put our faith in God that the earth is here for us. And that it's going to be here to take care of us. God is looking out for us. He has put this earth here for us to live on. That's the end of chapter 8. And tomorrow we'll be looking at the rest of uh, God. What God have to say about Noah in chapter nine. So I hope you enjoyed today's uh, Bible lesson. We'll see you next time.